Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. This week's episode features Adam Benzian, co-founder of Hackster.io, the community for hardware hackers. Hey, Adam, thanks for being on the show with us today. Hey, guys, thanks very much for inviting me. Happy to be here. Um, so, so I just wanted to, to start off with a little bit uh, to, to let the listeners know a little bit more about you. So where are you from and, and what did you study and, and how did your interest in entrepreneurship really uh, get kicked off? Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, well, I'm actually originally, you can see here, I have an accent, originally from Israel. I uh, grew up there and then I somehow accidentally moved to the U.S. and went to school in the States in California. Um, I went to school actually in uh, San Francisco, uh, went to grad, undergrad and grad school, and I was always interested in, you know, in computers and gadgets and technology like most, uh, you know, I guess guys my age. Uh, but what's interesting, what happened to me really is that I found myself in San Francisco in the early to the t- uh, 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and went through the whole like you know dot com revolution, the whole birth of Netscape and search engines and all that stuff, and it was so amazing and so profound that uh, a lot of people like us who just say kind of like hobbyists or were excited by their first Macintosh became actually part of the industry versus just consumers of that industry. Um, so practically, my first job until now was always in technology. I was always either working in software or hardware my entire career uh, because of actually just location-based, truthfully, mm-hmm. just by being in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied actually uh, international relations, undergrad and business for a master's degree. And yet again, I actually, my job was mostly in product management. I would actually, my job would be typically to kind of dream up uh, products, uh, capabilities, you know, thinking through, you know, problems that people are trying to solve and how to build them always through software and um, I was lucky enough to work for a couple of companies that actually build really interesting products as some of them ended up in major companies uh, my the last product I've worked on uh, in a software company uh, became part of a placeware which was a screen sharing uh, um, web meeting type of product that was acquired later on by Microsoft and became live meeting so that was really fun to see how uh, that you know plugin um, grew from idea to something much more meaningful in a pretty short amount of time. So, mm-hmm. so business or not, or not business, I was always actually on the product side. That's really cool. Um, so I'm going to bring it uh, to the next question. So, what is Hackster all about, and how did you come up with the with the idea? Okay, so it's a bit of a long answer. Perfect. That's the best. <laughs> okay, good. Because Hackster, um, let's just start with that. Hackster, uh, oh, oh, the need to build a company like Hackster, which is a place for people that want to build hardware to share 
learn and possibly even earn uh, was actually a personal need, something that I need to solve for myself. And the reason why I need to solve this for myself is because of another company I started prior to Hackster. Um, and by the way, I did not actually start Hackster. I started another company that merged with Hackster, but I'll tell you about this in a second. I started actually a hardware company in 2010. Um, and I started actually playing with hardware in 2009 while working at Microsoft. Uh, I got my first iPhone and I was really uh, excited. I used it all day long, but as you can imagine, the battery never really lasted more than three, four hours. Yeah. Uh, if you're a heavy user back in the day, it really was three to four hours battery life. I remember uh, buying the first one, the first Mophies that came out, which is um, an encasement with a battery pack for the iPhone, uh, which really did a decent job. But I kept thinking to myself that there's something about that particular product that I wasn't uh, totally happy about. Um, I couldn't figure out why uh, it doubled the ba battery power or capacity. Doesn't actually double my battery life. You know, my phone, it actually maybe added an incremental, not exponential uh, number of hours to my phone. It was very naive of me. I didn't know anything about hardware and, and batteries and how it works. So uh, through that naivety, I decided to... Um, to explore it further and to try to build something that is a bit more efficient, uh, maybe designed a little better, even though today Mopis are designed amazingly well. Uh, back in the day, they were a bit more clunky. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of like what got me started. But when I started this whole exploration, I there were almost no hardware resources on the web for people like me that are actually business types of trying to kind of concoct and hack a hardware product. Uh, but eventually I did meet a, a co-founder, uh, he was a, an engineer at Texas Instruments, and together we were able to uh, actually build prototypes and experiment and solve for the hypothesis that we can actually create uh, some sort of a, a battery or mobile power apparatus that has 30 to even 50% more efficiency than anything else in the market. Again, audacious, typical entrepreneur trying to kind of solve something huge, but in reality, we all make really tiny bites unless your last name is Musk and your first name is Elon. <laughs> uh, so, um, but but uh, so, so that was really again interesting because even though um, most of early in my career I worked either for startups or um, kind of like young companies that that you know that have built stuff from out, out of thin air. This was my first true time that I, you know, decided that I'm going to go and do it on my own. You know, I was sick of working for the large companies. I had a genuine problem that I was passionate about that I wanted to solve. And I figured I'm just going to do it. Nothing's going to stop me. I, can, I had a gut feel about it also that I can kind of do it. I don't know why. It's completely illogical. Um, long story short is, uh, again, for the fellow either aspiring or entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast, um, what you do is what I've, we've done is we said, look, let's try to build something and prove a hypothesis and try to kind of uh, get some street credibility and legitimize the idea through a major media outlet, for example. And what we've done is uh, we submitted our idea in an early prototype to CES in late 2010. Uh, for uh, It was an award category for uh, phone accessories. And we actually won in January 2011 uh, as one of the best, well, they said it's the best, the top. I don't know if it's the only product. I assume there are a few more. <laughs> yeah. But it was a, the top design and engineering award for computer for a phone accessory product for 2011. Nice. And, and yeah, it was kind of really, uh, we, we couldn't believe it, actually. And so that was kind of like a trigger yeah. that told us, well, actually, 
the story that we're telling is resonating. Um, our execution is, you know, is okay. It's decent for a couple of guys with a bunch of friends that helped us, um, you know, build the circuit boards and figure out a small supply chain. And then from there on, we really said to ourselves, well, well, it's kind of like more serious now. Um, and let's actually try to really build a company, not just a product. Mm-hmm. And what we've done then, we then, you know, the, the, another step is a Kickstarter campaign against kind of early in 2011. There weren't like a ton and like nobody actually even still broke the million dollars. You know, if, if you made like $300,000 in Kickstarter, your equivalent to today's like $5 million Kickstarter campaign. So... We figured let's just try to do a Kickstarter campaign and again, continue to learn about the product, learn about ourselves and get some noise in the market and try to maybe raise money and, uh, and execute on this idea. And our battery case uh, had something unique in it. We didn't just create a battery case that pushes power into a phone. We actually worked with Apple and um, uh, licensed a co-processor from them that set on our uh, circuit board. And what that did, it measured the energy on the phone and only gave it power when it needed to, mm. not with a switch. Because we just turned on a switch, we've learned you're just wasting energy. Say you turn on the switch at 50% and now your phone is full, the switch is not turning off and all that energy is going to become heat. So, uh, but with our technology, we figured a way to kind of turn the charger on and off and only give the phone energy when it needs to mm-hmm. at an optimal uh, point. So, so we not only solving the problem of giving people power all day, we actually solving the problem of, you know, efficiency and giving them power maybe beyond the full day, you know, prolong that, uh, that capacity of the battery. So... Um, that was the hypothesis, and we felt good about it, and the market responded to it. We went over 200% our target. And at that point, we were talking to a lot of companies from uh, Samsung to even Boeing, which is really weird, um, about uh, partnerships and funding, etc. And then we somehow uh, stumbled upon, well, I don't want to say stumble upon, they were on our target, but we came across uh, OtterBox. Uh, OtterBox is the, uh, it's one of the largest or the largest uh, protective gear for mobile devices in the world. Mm-hmm. And although we did not know that at the time, we thought there were a bunch of hipsters from Colorado. <laughs> and it's maybe at best a $30 million business, maybe. Uh, but um, what we've learned is that they're actually an over a billion dollar business. Yeah, a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot bigger. They're probably at this point, I mean, when I left them, they were like at 1.3. Uh, I don't know what they are now. I mean, they're, they're, very, they're a sizable company. Yeah. They're run by really amazing people um, that are, they just want to do the right thing by their customers and their employees. And uh, they had a need to ex- extend, expand their uh, product line from plastics and protection only to also power. Um, and they're in the market to uh, buy or partner with a startup that does that. I, I got to say again, if there's another lesson um, for anybody who's listening to this, it's kind of interesting to say that we were the best technical fit for this uh, partnership with Artobox. I, I don't know if that's the case, to be humbly uh, authentic and real about this, but we had the right chemistry with the owner and the managers of this company. And we met them several times over a few months, and we really kind of hit it off. It was more like almost interpersonal. We realized we can all work together. This is going to be actually fun. Mm-hmm. So I was and, actually going to ask you, uh, the, yeah. how did you guys start that that relationship, that, that conversation? I, I know you said you stumbled upon it, but how did you guys actually meet and, and develop that chemistry, as you, as you put it? Okay, that's a great question. Okay, so 
people who listen, take note. It doesn't happen by magic, actually. Um, through LinkedIn, uh, I would, uh, I, well, first I profiled all the companies I felt we can actually either work with or maybe get acquired by because I realized the hardware is hard to do and expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for example, uh, I, I learned at that point that Samsung is, uh, is buying or supporting people that build uh, accessories for their devices. So that would be a target. Uh, Boeing was looking to do something for their pilots, actually outfitting all their pilots with uh, iPads because they didn't want them to carry all this paperwork. There's about 60 pounds of paperwork in every airplane. They want to get rid of it. And they needed to, to power the, these devices. So there's a variety of companies that we found that needed what we did. And Otterbox is a hypothesis. I said to myself, gosh, you know, Mophie is doing pretty well. Otterbox is doing well, but Otterbox does not have that product line. Can I help them? Mm-hmm. And I wrote him an email over LinkedIn's uh, uh, premium service. It's called an email. So you can actually send emails to people not on your network, even if you don't have the email address. And it was a bit serendipitous, I would say, because um, I heard back almost immediately and when I spoke to the CTO and CFO um, days later, they actually kind of said to me in a very transparent way that it's interesting that I reached out to them at the time that they're actually having discussions of expanding the product line to power. So, you know, the whole like luck, what is luck? Is it opportunity made something? I don't know. Yeah, with timing. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, you're lucky to hit somebody at the exact perfect but perfect timing but you really got to do this you know it's kind of like you know i'm praying to god to win the lottery god says fine you know go buy a lottery ticket yeah exactly. you know what i'm saying it's the same thing so so but so they were probably one of 50 companies i spoke to but they it kind of worked out and it, i know i did not know that i never said oh come or oh, buy my company or invest in my company just so let's just talk i mean isn't something we can do maybe license or royalty or, or an investment. We were looking for an investment. Long story short, um, that actually ended up as an acquisition. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, that was pretty amazing, I got to say. And with that acquisition, um, the dream kind of came true because uh, they, um, you know, they got us an office. We hired like 30 people um, you know, through their know-how because these guys understand volume manufacturing. We established a complete supply chain, manufacturing relationships, um, laboratories, and, and we start building a bunch of really cool products uh, for Otterbox. And uh, the first product we launched to market won again another award at CES. So the following year, so two years in a row, we won, we're winning awards at CES. And then uh, one of their recent products, uh, it's really cool, it's called their Resurgence. It's one of the last products I was working on. Uh, again, it's a smart, you know, high-powered um, case for the iPhone 5 that actually, again, gives you uh, more than double the power. I believe uh, if the iPhone's uh, battery is about 1,450 milliamps hours, the Autobox battery is about 2,000 milliamps hours, and they figured out ways where you compensate for all these losses, efficiency losses. It does give you a true, clean, double battery power at the end of the day. So really, 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 really fun uh, way to, again, Take that experiment with duct tape and a few tools and then see how it comes to life and see that best buy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the best thing in the world that you can't believe it that one day you had an idea and a couple of years later it's in best buy and there's a bunch of people that have jobs because of it. Uh, pretty, I mean, for me, that was profound um, yeah. more than anything else that, that anybody can actually kind of pull that together. 
but but it was a little bit more you know focused on the need right like that you actually wanted the product for yourself because it didn't exist and it was less about you know i'm going to make a million dollars selling this company rather it was always focused on on you know just building a cool product yeah so um again if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> take note you just do doing all these startups it starts really fun and easy because there's a lot of energy around it and it's exciting. And then, and, and maybe, maybe if you're on Instagram, it's always exciting because after 18 months you got acquired, that means you had such crazy momentum even before you got acquired. But for the most part, the excitement kind of diminishes when your checking account starting to shrink and the sacrifice you're making. And even if you're working and you're doing this on the side to start with, the days off you have to take, yes. the, it's everything costs money. Everything takes time. And if you're not passionate about it, you're just not going to do it. You have to be passionate about it and you have to believe that a path will open. It's never linear. It's never from point A to point B. It's from point A to other alphanumeric points before mm -hmm. it gets to point B. Point B is unknown. Where is it on, on the scale, you know? So there's a passion, solving personal problems that you feel strongly about that need to be solved is huge. And another thing is also a lot of people told me and think, you know, that they don't have great ideas. Like people told me, why are you even doing this? Somebody has already done this. I'm like, you know, it's true. But I really think that I can do something better. I, I've tested that stuff. That something is just not up. It's suboptimal, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, not all of us are Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, right? And some of us just do something a bit more incremental. And that's okay. Because even if you do incremental really well, there's, there's a market for incremental. We all need improvements versus just revolutions. Mm -hmm. And so actually there's a good transition there where you were saying that, you know, you, you, it's not always a linear path to success. And so going from OtterBox, how did you come up with the concept or, or how did you end up merging with, with Hackster in order to create this kind of network for other people who are looking at doing hardware startups? This is a perfect segue. Yeah, it perfection. is. <clears throat> because <clears throat> when I left OtterBox, I left because I wanted to start a company that helped people connect with each other and learn how to build hardware together. Um, I did not know exactly how the model will work, how I earn money from it. And again, because I need to sustain it. It's not just, if it's a hobby, it's a hobby, but I did not start just as a hobby. So I started a company called Entirely, um, and Entirely was supposed to connect people with each other, with resources, with mentors, uh, and with the marketplace to uh, sell, uh, you know, different hacks that people actually build. Um, and as I was doing entirely, I also met uh, another gentleman uh, named Ben Larald from San Francisco who was working on Hackster. And Hackster did the exact same thing <laughs> that Entirely was doing. And after the initial annoyance uh, <laughs> that, that I found my uh, antimatter, I was, uh, uh, we, we uh, actually, it was inter interesting. We, we were not supposed to meet. And yet life kept connecting us. So I was uh, doing a hackathon. I was a judge in a hackathon in San Francisco. And as I showed up, I realized that Hackster is one of the sponsors. Or I was talking to um, um, one of the leaders around Accelerator in China. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, it's one of the largest hardware accelerators in the world. 
a fellow named uh, Cyril, who is amazing. He was a personal hero for me about entirely and what I should work with him and we should do some work together because I think that we can, I can help him build his community and blah, blah, blah. And he always kind of told me, sure, we might do something someday. And then later I found that Cyril actually invested in Hackster. And when he heard that I met Hackster, he even told Ben, he said, talk to this guy. You guys are on the same path. So, so all these little <clears throat> weird circles kept connecting us through the investor, through events, mm -hmm. and variety of other connections. And then uh, eventually, um, uh, Ben came out here. He lives in San Francisco. I live in Seattle. He came to Seattle um, to see me to talk about some sort of a collaboration. And with that night, I was supposed to volunteer uh, with a friend of mine. We volunteered some some homeless project. And which is always kind of profound and moving. And he came with me and we really kind of connected. We said, hey, we got to do this together. So we integrated uh, entirely into Hackster because, uh, first of all, I like the Hackster name a ten, 10 times better. Um, entirely was supposed to be everything end to end entirely. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it really doesn't speak for the hacking aspect of it, right? So mm -hmm. Hackster does. Um, so to your earlier question, that you the path, you don't know where it's going to take you. You really don't know. And if I didn't do entirely, I wouldn't be invited to hackathons. I wouldn't meet this guy. I wouldn't connect with Hackster. And I would probably give it up because it was too much work and nobody got it, what I'm trying to do. But working with Ben, really, um, it's really natural for us. We both know exactly, you know, imagine two strangers and we know each other's mission because we have like a parallel universe company. Um, so that really worked out. And Hackster is amazing. Hackster has thousands of uh, registered users, um, um, thousands of projects, uh, hundreds of thousands of page views. Um, it's growing. Uh, we're growing 10% now every month. Um, Wicked. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really is amazing. So, um, and, and now we're starting to, we have a business model that we, we just start to activate and it's just been going amazingly well. Hold on, let me look for some wood here. I just knocked on my wood here. All good. God, please, don't, no, no lessons needed to learn this week. And uh, so, so things have worked. I mean, you know, worked. Nothing. What, what does it mean work? Things are looking brighter, happier. There's more momentum. And I tell this to people a lot now <clears throat> because that's my new lesson. My previous company was very linear. I had an idea. I executed Everything worked, and, and I got acquired in under two years. I mean, that's really, that's kind of lucky, to be honest with you. It, I don't think it's something I can just replicate. And this company was a lot more work, a lot more learning, um, a lot more networking. Um, but uh, I think that we're on a path now. So, so that's the lesson. Uh, but, you know, I just want to add, the lesson is not not to give up. The lesson is to to be open and to try. But I do believe there's also a time to give up. It's not about giving up. I'm a loser. I gave up. It's more about all these startups we're all trying to build are hypothesis. And you, you hypothesize and you pivot. You make some changes. You adjust. And really, if all the adjustments don't work, don't waste your life and your time on something that's just meh, not really great. You know, mm -hmm. Find something different. Leave it, re-energize, get a job, do something different, then get back into it. Because I do believe that sticking to something that is just not great and trying to make it real for too long, it's also a bit of a waste of your time. Um, so pivot, 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 and 
if, if nothing takes, think about it. Great. That's some, that's some awesome advice. So, so the audience knows you're the, you're the author of the ultimate guide to bootstrapping a hardware startup. So what are some of the most common mistakes entrepreneurs will make when starting a hardware startup? Cool. Okay. Okay. It's a good one. Uh, okay. The biggest mistake is starting a hardware startup. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, okay. So hardware is fun. It's tangible. Hardware has been, became so easy to concoct and build. Um, let's start from development kits, you know, just the most biggest one, of course, in Arduino, mm-hmm. Raspberry Pis, etc. So development kits that can actually prove a hypothesis have been uh, easy. Uh, and should you really want to enclose them with something, you can really do it from, with cardboard. Um, everybody think about 3D printing. Sure, I guess you could, but it, since 3D printing is not even a finished product anyways, if you don't have access to 3D printing or you don't know CAD, you could just do it from wood or something else and enclose something and see how it works, how it feels. Um, so hardware is a lot easier to do than it used to be. But there's a big difference between a hardware company and a hardware hack. So hacking hardware, almost as easy, not almost as easy, it's as easy as software. I, I, I totally believe that. Um, but uh, now let's say that you want to build a hardware company. Um, so first of all, be aware that it's about five times more resources, at least, at least than a software company. And let me explain. A typical software company can probably have two guys or two people, not just guys, of course. Um, even one person, you know, if that person is some, you know, a full stack developer with a few business skills, why not, right? However, in a hardware business, uh, you'll rarely find a mechanical engineer who's also an electronics engineer or a mechanical engineer who is also an industrial designer, or an industrial designer that knows anything about supply chain or manufacturing. The amount, the number of disciplines they're required to uh, take to market a single product are fivefold, mm-hmm. period. There's no, no way around this. Do you the think second- that, uh, that, sorry, do you think that um, with the kind of popularization of things like Maker Fairs or Startup Weekends or even now Alibaba that, you know, you, you, in the future you won't need as many skill sets because these, these companies can kind of take you from, you know, the, the whole thing from, from conception all the way to, I guess, at least an early prototype? Right. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Having said that, it doesn't <laughs> change the single thing that is, so, so I guess my Uber point is such that the five more resources mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they work for you mm-hmm. or it's an outsource. It's a resource. Somebody has to pay for it. Hardware startups are expensive. So if you raise money, if you can probably pull something off, if you have some money or lots lots of skills um, in a software business, no problem. In a hardware business, I mean, there's tangible costs for everything. Um, so let's just say prototyping is super easy and let's just even say that you're so good, you figured it out, supply chain, relationships with people, which is, again, it's completely impossible that one person could do all that. But at some point, you'll have to order parts. Yeah. And at some point, you have to build a tool. You know, tools typically cost, I don't know, $20,000, the, the cheapest tool you can build. Uh, supply chain costs money because people want you to order parts in advance. Uh, manufacturers that you're going to find, even a low-value low manufacturer in your local neighborhood even, they want some guarantees. Hardware costs money. Packaging, shipping, um, 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 storing inventories. There's a lot going on there. And uh, not to mention prototypes. 
so I mean, how many prototypes does it take to build a great product? I don't mm-hmm. know, 10 prototypes? So, well, you know, that's going to cost money. Uh, every time you have to reprint the circuit board, you have to, you know, start a thing. You need people doing stuff. Um, so even if you outsource everything, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, there's no way around somebody sitting in a lab and trying things out. This is not the right resistor and this is not the right boost converter and this is not the right something and he's going to sit there and solder things in and out of that circuit board until they'll figure out oh here's a stable build go go build it professionally again or go micronize it etc um i'll give you some more examples i've learned i i uh i was so naive about this whole thing so even through now we're part of Arabox and they kind of you know we get the marching orders this is all about scale and large shipments and we buy up, you know, we start building relationships with people and we order these batteries, uh, lithium ion batteries, custom batteries from a great manufacturing company in China that have done really great work for a lot of companies. But oh my gosh, we forgot to ask, are these batteries certified? Well, they can be certified. There's no problem with them. They told us they can be certified for anything. Okay. Great. So apparently, AT&T, rec- their store requires one certification type, and Verizon store requires another, <laughs> of um, and, and you know, and, and and the FC requires another, and everybody requires the Best Buy another. And I'm like, wait a minute, they don't even need the same certification. Well, apparently, some of them need different certifications just because. So every certification can cost you up to fifty thousand dollars. And in the case of our experience, I mean, Autobox doing well and they didn't really constrain us with money too much when we built it so it wasn't really an issue of money but it was issue of time then you Mm -hmm. have to wait you have to wait and i remember one the worst thing that happened to us was that one of the certifying companies that apple recommended us to work with for some reason was in england in, in you know in london somewhere and when we called them up they were in the middle of an acquisition they got acquired by ul and they just were kind of confused. Well, we're not sure. We got acquired by UL. So, you know, let me, uh, you need to talk to UL. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I need to finish this. And, and the time, the time was prolonged and the pressure to sell the products. You can't have products sitting in warehouses. They, they're, they're aging. Uh, your com- com- competition is out executing you. This is not software. There's no update. It has to sell out. Mm-hmm. So if you want to build a hardware company, be very, very clear really clear what problem you're solving. I know we said in software, we said in startup world, but in software, it's okay. You can kind of mess <laughs> with it. You can play with it. You'll find, you'll figure it out. You can't figure it out with hardware. Figure, figure it out. Understand your total addressable market. And don't tell me, oh, every ho- US households between uh, 30 to 40, uh, blah, 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 income, $100,000. No. Break it down to something even more granular. Don't don't tell me the addressable market is in the billions, even if it is, and we kind of know what it is. That's not your real addressable market. You cannot reach out to the billions or to the millions. You can reach to the tens of thousands, maybe, if you're lucky. And oh, by the way, how do you plan on reaching out to people with hardware? Because most of it sells through retail channels. Mm-hmm. And you don't have established relationships, not with Best Buy, not with telco stores, and even on Amazon.com, they might have, they'll, they'll stack you differently on the home, on the front page for your category because you're just a nobody, right? So the, there's a, the, the complexity of doing hardware 
is, is actually monumental and it's not really just about the manufacturing stuff. It's really about who's going to buy it, how are you going to ship it? I mean, I mean, who's going to stack it? Like, how are you going to make money? Who's your audience? Um, and the last thing is, is profitability. Um, you know, if you hit 25, 30% margins on hardware, it's great. And, um, you know, so you need to think about that too. What, what, what is your, your build cost, your bill of materials cost? Um, from, from everything, which is like, you know, like all the components, assembly, packaging, shipping, how much money do you actually have left, you know, when the product sells through? Or um, what's, what's, how much, what's a margin points um, a retailer will take from you? Best Buy is 50 to even 60%, you know, margin off your, your uh, bottom line. So you can't get into it without thinking about it. This is not software. It's not an app. Nobody's going to fund you if you don't have a great story and an amazing ability to execute. So think about it mm-hmm. and do it right. And is, is something like a, like a crowdfunding platform like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, is that a good place to kind of help think about it and help figure it all out? Or would you recommend having it all figured out before you even go there? You know, you're asking all the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. So uh, I... I do believe that this is uh, crowdfunding is not a place to fund your company. It's a pl- place to further prove that your hypothesis against demand and problem resonates with a broad audience, with the media, etc. Um, I'll give an example. There's a company called Nude Audio, and they have been around for about a year. Uh, they're building this really cool uh, speaker. You guys can see it online. It's called Nude, Nude Audio. And uh, anyways, the, the bottom line is that they've been around for about a year, even though they've been doing this kind of work for like 15 years. And they already know that there's a market. They know how to build their products. They already committed supply chain and manufacturing to build 10,000 units of the speakers um, they were selling on Kickstarter, whether or not Kickstarter would work. For them, Kickstarter was just, um, very, again, keep checking with the market. Is this product real? Um, is the media excited? Is the price point uh, correct? And it was gravy. They said, "Look, if we sell a bunch of products, it's awesome." You know, I think the target was hundred thousand dollars, and um, and if not, not. And also, their ability to execute as marketing people because Kickstarter, at this point, is a marketing thing, right? Talk to the media, talk to your family, get that hockey stick, eight first eight hours, you know, rush which kind of like puts you dynamically on the homepage of Kickstarter of uh, trending projects. And also the media, uh, you know, takes note and they actually close at, I believe it was $880,000. Wow. Um, so 700,000 above the target. And they have a company, it's been established. They know where they're going to manufacture. They, they have all the parts, everything is ready. So they're, they're like, a, you know, they are a best practice. That you don't go to fund it. You don't go. You go to validate the final validation and just get some gravy money out of it. You know. Uh, so that's the way I see it. it. It's it's definitely not because you know um, what you see is people will just say, "Oh, I have this idea. I'll just do a few beautifully, you know, rendered three D models in an amazing video, and I'll tell this kick-ass story, and I'll go on Kickstarter, and then you you blow your numbers." And then you can manufacture it because guess what? Before you thought you're going to produce maybe a thousand units, now you're like at almost at a million dollars. Now you have to produce 
10,000 units. And guess what? That little factory in, you know, in, in, in the suburbs can't do it. You have to go to China. Mm-hmm. We're in China. And oh, by the way, these guys in China, they want, they want down payments. And you have to fly out there. You have to figure out who they are. It's a different set of tools. Maybe it's not, no longer aluminum tools. It's hard tooling, you know. Um, that costs more money. So scale is actually really scary too on Kickstarter. There's so many unknowns. And that's where you see so many people uh, delayed in, in uh, delivery. But right. what are your thoughts on people who are creating both a hardware and a software startups? Seriously, did I give you all these questions? Because these are all the best questions. <laughs> Okay, so there's, I, I do believe that in today's world, if it's an electronics kind of company, not just plastics, there's no such thing as a hardware company, which is not a software company. It's both. Um, and in fact, a lot of the super advanced like hardware startups, uh, of course, Nest will be one of them, but uh, let's talk about a company called August, like the month, august.com. Uh, they're building this amazing uh, lock for your home. Smart lock, even though they're gonna probably break even or make some money off the actual product, the the real play is software and the real money is in data and you know the internet of things, right? Connecting things together, understanding uh, users a little bit beyond you know uh, the mundane, you know, in, in their scenario, is like a lock. I'm just opening a lock in the door, even though at the very base of it it's uh, hey a lock is to keep the bad guys out of my house that's why I have a lock on my door so yeah it does that but there's a lot of other stuff that you can do there's a lot of insight that these guys can collect and connect it to other services so and it's all done through amazing software which interfaces with the end users and amazing firmware that really make things work and connect maybe with other web services so you have to have incredible software capabilities which are even more they can be kind of complex because it's software talking to firmware talking to you know, a lot of radios from wi-fi to bluetooth to who knows what z-waves to zigbee um, um all these things are absolutely a must-have um, the lights are not on without it and i just want to say i'm not trying to uh, i don't want to be uh, a downer quite the contrary i just feel that i want people to be successful and this is why i I wrote that little ebook, and this is why I'm part of Hackster, because there's a right way of doing these things. It's it's a bit of a it's it's a it's a marathon, and you need to work work out. You gotta prepare. You don't just jump in and get disappointed, disappoint your yourself or maybe a naive investor. Um, learn learn a lot more about this and connect with people that have done this to help you. And one great way of doing this is joining accelerators. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'll just pitch um, about four accelerators I really like. Um, the first one is uh, Accelerator in Shenzhen in China. Um, yeah, just uh, look it up online. They spell it really weirdly. Uh, it's it's H A X L A T R. Yeah, Accelerator. Um, then Highway One that's part of a PCH, that's a great one. Um, Bolt.io, uh, that's an accelerator uh, in Chicago. And then I, uh, Lab9, um, and they spell Lab9 you know, like uh, Roman uh, numbers. And uh, that's a Flextronics hardware accelerator in Silicon Valley in Milpitas. So these are really four wonderful places to start. 
and they're really going to help you fi- figure figure it out before you just go and make a lot of uh, fatal mistakes. They're going to cure you from your mistakes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, so what are some of your uh, your favorite uh, kind of Kickstarter or uh, hardware crowdfunded uh, products right now? Um, so Besides the ones you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I kind of support everybody. I have no choice. So, um, I, I so okay. So, Nude Audio, um, look them up on Kickstarter. Uh-huh. To me, it's a best practice. I even wrote a blog and share about this. It's the way they. They, they did it for the right reasons and they're going to deliver everything on time because they're ready. It wasn't something they didn't do to raise money. They did it to execute an existing plan. So that's one. And the latest one, that, which I really uh, love and I'm supporting, is uh, it's kind of silly. It's not really a hardware project. But uh, on Indiegogo, they have a, uh, a fundraiser for the Tesla Museum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, got, I have a, a daughter. She's four years old. And I got her a brick. Nice. Uh, so I kinda, my dream is that they'll build this museum. And then I, uh, I'll, I'll, I will go there. And I'll, I'll show her. You're part of uh, Nicola's uh, heritage now. You're a brick on the museum. So, but, but I kind of feel that there's so many technologies and that came to life and are part of our lives because of this guy, you know, because Tesla and I, I felt that this really kind of connects me to something a bit more meaningful than just buying the end, the finished products. So I re- encourage everybody to check it out and help. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So um, just to throw you out a random question, what are the apps that you're currently using right now? Apps. What's your favorite one? Okay, let's see. I uh, yeah, I, I I have a bunch of apps, and uh, but I became like a, an app like snob, <laughs> tourist. I uh, let's see apps that I really love. Honestly, man, it sounds silly, but I uh, I really love eBay. Really, <laughs> eBay app. I just feel like it's it's honestly it's better than the site itself. I use it, you know, to sell. But you know, because I buy so much like electronics, I I hate it that. I hate being such a consumer and so wasteful. So I was just, I'll buy something, I'll try it out and I'll sell it back on eBay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pile it in my house and it's just terrible. But there's one app that I feel like it's a bit of a masterpiece. It's an, it's a, an app called Slack. I think the company that built it, they called, uh, I forgot the name of the company. Um, it's called Slack and it's really, it's like a smart chat that uses uh, hashtags. So you create a hashtag and it becomes a channel and then you talk within the channel it's just amazing. I mean, the way it works, um, it's just like how much email I'm saving by not use, by using this. It connects to Google Docs and to Trello and a variety of other applications. It's just fantastic. So Slack. And uh, okay, and what else? Okay, one more. What about uh, a non-iOS um, app? How about a Mac app? Okay, you're making so, it harder now. Making it harder. <laughs> so uh, Slack works really well on, on my Mac, by the way. But I'm using it's kind of silly again. Mac. I love Mac Keeper. Yeah. You know why? I used to work at Microsoft. I used to work in Windows, and the the one thing I've loved about Windows is the ability to always work and tweak your operating system, to defrag it and clean it and tweak everything, and you can get into the guts of it. I can't really do much of it here. So it gives you this like weird pleasure 
the knowledge that I can go in and clear my cache easily and cut through clutters and language packs I don't use. And it's, um, it's a fun little c- control that I get. And let's see, what else? I use Mailbox uh, Beta. Yeah, I'm, I'm using it as well. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Let's see. You know, uh, Dropbox works amazingly well on the, on the Mac. And I use, I use Photoshop, Illustrator. But that's not really a Mac app, is it? <laughs> but I'm really kind of pure. I don't want to clutter my life with stuff. So I was, I'm very watchful of what do I install. She gives Sketch a try. I've been using it for the last Sketch? couple months. Yeah, and it's, it's been great. It's an Adobe product, right? Uh, no, it's, they're, they're created it's by Bohemian, I think the oh, company's okay. name, name is. But uh, yeah, cool. should give it a try. It's been a great experience so far. Um, like I said, I've only been using it for a couple months, but I find it a lot easier to build vector graphics um, oh, with it okay. compared to uh, Adobe Illustrator. So highly recommend oh, that tool. Great, I will. Good tip. Cool. Well, thanks for your time uh, tonight, Adam. It was really great having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.